Hello and greetings. We're so glad that you've joined us and we're very glad that you have an interest in spiritual things. My name is Ethan and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. And we've been exploring many of the types of things that Christians do when they come together on the assembly on the first day of the week. We see uh, from scripture and that Christians in the first century uh, came together as an assembly and on the first day of the week, and engaged in various activities, including singing, praying, the Lord's Supper, hearing a lesson, giving, and studying the Bible in Acts 2.42, 20 verse 7, and 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 17, verse 26, and chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. And this is the reason why we do many of the very same things, all the same things today. And so it's good for us to spend some time looking into these activities a bit more, and to see how we do them and why we do them to refresh our minds. Uh, also, it's an opportunity to make sure that we're doing them as effectively and properly as we can with the greatest encouragement and edification possible in the way that we handle them. And we're going to continue by looking into giving. Now, it's good for us to keep a couple things in mind that we've been mentioning as we've been talking about the various acts of the assembly. First of all, is a lot of times when we talk about the assembly, uh, the word worship is used frequently to describe the type of things going on there. And the difficulty is, is that the way the English word worship is used is not necessarily consistent with any individual use of the word in the New Testament in its original. Uh, the idea of bowing down and prostrating before God is, is, is strong in terms of worship in the, in the Bible, and so is uh, acts of religious service. Interestingly, the assembly and worship are never explicitly connected in the New Testament for believers. Um, the ideas, the things that we're doing in the assembly are part of our spiritual service to God. Uh, but so are the things we do outside of the assembly that serve God as well. And so uh, part of our uh, becoming a living holy sacrifice is what we do when we come together with our fellow Christians. But that is not the sum of our dedication and devotion to God and to set all those things apart as if they are to be on a certain kind of pedestal and treated differently than everything else in Scripture is not warranted from what is seen in the pages of the New Testament. Uh, likewise, when we look at the core purpose of what we're doing in the assembly, uh, we see in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 12, we're to strive to excel in building up the church. In verse 26, let all things be done for building up. And as the Hebrew author says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And that's why we keep going back to encouragement, strengthening, edification, or building up. It is not as if God is absent from the assembly. Uh, we do all these things to glorify God, and God is praised and glorified when these things are done effectively. Um, but all the things that we're supposed to do must be done with a view to how we build each other up and strengthen each other. Because that's the real place of the assembly in the life of a Christian, is to that continual reminder, continual association, continual source of strength and spiritual uh, construction. That helps them to live a life of faith that glorifies God uh, the rest of the week. And so, in light of these things, let us now explore what the scriptures say about taking up the, uh, a collection. We do well to first see how giving was done and for what reasons in the scriptures. 
In Acts chapter 2, and in verse 45, we are told that early Christians were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. In chapter 4, and verse 33, uh, and with, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, and Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And of course the narrative will continue in the first ten verses of chapter 5 in Acts, where Ananias and Sapphira uh, plot sell land for so uh, much amount, do not give it all to the uh, apostles, but claim that they have. And they are both struck by God through the Holy Spirit dead because they have lied to the Holy Spirit. And that's a good, strong example of why we should be honest with our giving and should not try to deceive God. Uh, But we can see that in the early church here, they gave what they had. And there was, in fact, a very strong movement to give all that you had so that everybody would have their needs met. Very extraordinary situation in every sense of the term. Extraordinary because it was out of the ordinary and it was amazing. And uh, very important for our understanding. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, Paul is speaking to the Corinthian Christians. In chapter 16, he says, Now concern the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So here we can see that he's telling them and enjoining upon them what he enjoined upon the churches of Galatia about how they should take up collections. And what he's talking about is something he will also talk about to the Romans in Romans 15, where he says that uh, the Christians in, in Greece uh, are, are stirred up to, to make this contribution to the needy saints of Jerusalem, which is appropriate because they have received the spiritual blessings of salvation from the testimony of the Jews. And so it would make sense for the Jew, for, to give back to the Jewish Christians uh, according to their heritage. And he makes explicit here that the gift is going to Jerusalem. And in, chap- in 2 Corinthians, he kind of goes in greater depth saying, hey, the Macedonians have given beyond their means. They're really stirred up for this. And I'm sure you'll be ready to give also. Uh, we, this is why it's important to give. And they're collecting for the needs of the saints in Judea. And they would make their collection on the first day of the week. Now these are the examples of giving that we find in the New Testament in the assembly. The collection was taken the first day of the week. The collection was designed to meet the needs of the congregation. Now it's important for us to recognize as we talk today and discuss giving in terms of the acts of the assembly that we're talking about giving in the assembly, which is for the work of a local church. Uh, we're not talking about uh, giving in other circumstances. Uh, in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, there's a whole passage about uh, the need that Christians have to provide assistance to those who are in need, to the least of these, the brethren uh, of God in Christ. And that involves certainly providing assistance financially, but also giving of time and resources as well. Galatians 6 and verse 10, that we are to do good to all, 
especially to the household of faith, that in fact uh, we need to be uh, giving to all kinds of people, all kinds of situations, but especially taking care of the people of God. And there are other times where it's appropriate to talk about the need for giving outside of the assembly, the fact that there is a very wide range of things that we should be providing support for. Um, but we're talking to, in our conversation right now about the giving in the assembly for the purposes of what the church is to accomplish. And so it's really good to see w- what's going on there. And a lot of people find it a little bit of a, a challenge difficulty because it doesn't seem to be very clear-cut. There is no explicit command for us to give in the scriptures. Uh, it's all these situations based on the circumstances that we can find in the first century church. Uh, in First Corinthians 16 here, uh, Paul has directing the churches of Galatia and Corinth to give. But uh, he, he's doing that because he doesn't want collections to be taken when he comes, and he's going to have that collection taken to Jerusalem. If we're going to wait for Paul to come and take the collection that we've been making, uh, we're going to be waiting a very, very long time. Um, but uh, th- we can perhaps see that there's some wisdom there. Uh, the, the reason why giving was done was because they were taking collections for the needs of, of the people. Uh, that there were things that needed to be taken care of, and they, therefore they needed to take care of them. And that's what we see in the biblical examples. Uh, in the church in Jerusalem, there was a need. They gathered, they took care of it. In uh, Judea, there was a need. Churches in, in Galatia and Achaia, Macedonia, and perhaps other places, gave. And so we can certainly see that one of the things that the churches can do is to take up collections for benevolence. Uh, we can see that here in First Corinthians, Second Corinthians. We can also see in First Corinthians, Timothy chapter 5, verses 3-16, through 16, that uh, the church is able to support uh, those who are widows indeed. In fact, in that passage, it's a very important passage, we see in it, uh, Paul is giving advice to Timothy about who should be enrolled on this list as widows indeed. He has a set, set of requirements, qualifications. And the qualifications are really to show that this is a woman who is be, who is who set her hopefully on God, whose days of childbearing and family are past, and who's not going to become an active busybody. Uh, but in fact, if a woman is able to marry, they are to marry. And of course, at the end, in verse 16, Paul makes it very clear that if... Uh, there is some extended family that is Christian. They should be the one taking care of these widows so that the church can help those who are widows indeed. And so the idea is that, again, we have to remember there's no social security, there's no government safety net. So if a woman was a true widow who did not have any family to support her and who was older and could not get married, uh, they'd be begging on the streets. And they had almost no legal protection and no standing in the community or culture. And so the church was to provide continual support for them. And uh, by necessary inference, we can see that there is a need for some kind of continual depositing place for the collection. Because, yes, in many of the examples we saw earlier, there uh, the situations are one time. And so would you need to keep taking up a collection for the saints in Judea once the collection has been taken by Paul? No, you would not necessarily have to do that. But if you had widows who were uh, on the list, you would need to continually provide food and therefore money to get the food. And therefore somebody is going to have to keep somewhere the pile of money continually. And so therefore we have the need for a treasury, however you want to put it, however you believe it should be handled, that it is necessary in order to have that. And also it shows that there's going to be continual needs. And if there's continual needs, there are justifiable reasons for continued collections.
So the church is to support its own financially when the need arises. In 1 Corinthians 9, verses 1-15, through 15, Paul establishes his right in the gospel that those who work for the gospel ought to live by the gospel. And he uses examples of the priests, he uses examples of the ox uh, and, and the way, the, while they're threshing. Uh, also in 1 Timothy. In Philippians 4.15, he talks about the gift that the church in Philippi provided for him as they jointly participated in his ministry in, pro, in proclamation of the word by providing that gift. And so there is a, a, a appropriate uh, situation where evangelists or ministers should be paid for their work that they are doing. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 8, he goes as far as that he robbed other churches to serve the church in Corinth. That's Again, hyperbole and a little excess, but points out that he took money from Philippi so he could do the work there in, in Corinth at that time. So the church is to support evangelism, and that will be a continual need. Uh, there's a need to support teaching in Acts 2 and verse 4 too, the, the, uh, devoting themselves to apostles' doctrines. Uh, there will be need for Bibles. There may be need for teaching materials to uh, teach the gospel. Um, if there is the need to have a, a facility, I mean, Hebrews 10.25, we are to assemble together. Uh, by necessity, we need a place to assemble, and it may be that we need a facility in which to assemble, or money needs to be set forth to rent a facility in which we can assemble. Then the church will have to maintain that or support that financially. Uh, in 1 Timothy 5, 17, 18, uh, there are elders who are worthy of support, especially if they minister in teaching and preaching. But... Uh, so elders are just as uh, entitled to a salary as, as, as evangelists are in the New Testament. So giving is necessary because the church has needs that it must fulfill. It's entirely possible, you know, in a theoretical abstract idea that if there were a time where a, there were no needs, that a church would not need to take up a collection. However... Uh, even if a local congregation can take care of the, their situation locally uh, and have plenty left over, there are other areas in the country and in the world where uh, support would be necessary for evangelism for pre and for benevolence. And so there is always a need. As long as we are still here and the Lord has yet to return, there will be needs. And so we do well to continue to take up a collection. And as we look throughout the New Testament, it's very interesting to see that throughout, the emphasis is on Christians, the members of the congregation, uh, providing the, the support and the collecting. In fact, this is very important, something that has been neglected and missed by far too many, that throughout the New Testament, the only means of support that local congregations have is the free will contributions of its members. There is no New Testament command, example, or inference that a church made money off investments, off property, off uh, anything of that sort. So it is the congregation's members who support its work financially. Uh, the work will be sustained as, as effectively as the members are willing and able to give. And the only way in time they gave is this collection on the first day of the week. And it's the same day that Christians came together to take the Lord's Supper in Acts 20, verse 17. Verse 7, excuse me. So we can see it's a normative practice to have this assembly. And so what Paul's probably doing in 1 Corinthians 16 is saying, hey, you're already meeting. So while you're meeting, take up the collection. So we, I don't have to know make collections when I come. And so that provides us an opportunity. When we come together the first day of the week, it's time to give. And that's something good for us uh, to remember. 
Um, we don't have any indications. There are other times that brethren would have given. Uh, we do know, though, therefore, that it is right to do on the first day of the week, and so we should respect that biblical authority and give on the first day of the week. Of course, the big question everybody has about giving is how much? How much should we be giving? And just like with the lack of commandment, explicit commandment, uh, we have a lack of explicit commandment about exactly how much somebody should give in any kind of numerical or even proportional fashion. Um, we do see that there was a tithe that everybody's well aware of. And some people, have, many people have suggested that the tithe should be what people uh, provide today. Which is very interesting because tithe is considered 10%. But really, the Israelites were to give 20%, because 10% was to be given to the Levites, and 10% were to be, was given to, to God himself, in Leviticus 27, verse 30, Numbers 18, and verse 21. So their tithe is actually 20%, uh, not just 12. And in fact, you think about some of the other ways where you're supposed to give. Uh, in fact, it becomes pretty clear that a very high percentage of the Israelite uh, bounty was to go to other people. Interestingly, in the New Testament, the idea of the tithe is not carried over. Uh, but the New Testament may not have explicit percentages or proportions, but it provides precepts. There are various precepts that are given. In fact, uh, one could could critique and say, actually, God did give a specific idea of how you should give in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians there, that he is to give as he has prospered, as he may prosper. So that uh, the giving is to be proportional to how much we have been prospered. And so the idea of that on the surface is the better off we are, the more we should be giving. Uh, if we're not doing off as well, there, there might be a situation where we could say we would not give as much. Although, uh, as we're going to see, that perhaps that might be an opportunity that we should be still giving. And giving sacrificially, as God, as God would have us to do. In Second Corinthians chapter 9, uh, in verse 7, each must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so the idea is we're not supposed to give grudgingly. Uh, it, there's, there's no coercion or compulsion in giving. This is so important because the Church of, of, of God in Christ, uh, Church of Christ, uh, Christianity has been given such a terrible name because of how so many have gone online and gone on television and, and gone in the mail and say, you need to give this, you need to give this, I need this, I need that, you need to give this, you need to give this. And, and there's no coercion or compulsion. Uh, it's, it's despicable what many people will do and the manipulative ways they will use to try to get people to give them money. And we don't see that in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the need is laid out and the expectation is in faith. That the Christians realize, as Paul continued to say, that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. The idea that if you trust in God and give appropriately, uh, God will bless you and you will have what you need and others will be benefited as well. And that's the, there's no coercion or compulsion needed there. And this is also distorted and worked on the other side, which is to say, well, I'm happily giving a very little amount. And it's better, for, you know, God's going to be much more content with me happily giving a little amount than begrudgingly giving more. And while that might be true to an extent, the, Paul will continue to say, if you, uh, the, in verse 9, 10, 
excuse me, verses 6 and 7 before, it's verse 6 beforehand, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And so, Paul's making clear, yeah, you need to give according to what you intend to give. But realize that if you don't give that much, don't be surprised if you don't get a lot. If you give more, you'll be more likely to get more. So those are some uh, precepts that God has given. We also see some examples. In Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 43, we read, And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contribute out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. It's very interesting to see this example. Yes, it's, it's part of the Old Covenant. No, we can see that Jesus' lesson is appropriate. Because we, a lot of people get so enamored with numbers. And it's so easy to get wrapped up in numbers. And to think that person X is a better giver because he gives more than person Y. And we see that here. Uh, by any worldly standard, by any even mathematical standard, a person coming in putting in hundreds or thousands is putting in a lot more than a person putting in a couple pennies. Jesus is not trying to deny that. What Jesus is trying to do is focus the shift away from numbers to proportion. Other people, even putting in hundreds of thousands, may have been putting in up to 10, 20%, maybe. Uh, that would be a, a, on the high end, maybe 1 or 2%, maybe even less of their income. And so, yeah, it might have been hundreds, it might have been thousands, but they didn't miss it. They would still be able to go back to their farms or their villas and have plenty. They weren't going to lack. This woman who had two pennies put in 100%. She put in all that she had. She didn't know where she was going to sleep that night, where she was going to eat, but she trusted that if she gave the little that she had to God, that God would make sure that she would have a way. And so that's a very important lesson that Jesus gives her. She gave more than the rest, not in terms of actual amount, but proportional. And God does notice that. As we saw in Acts 2 and Acts 4, uh, the example of giving is significant. The, the Christians were motivated to, to give because of the needs of others. And they didn't need to be compelled or coerced. It didn't have to come down to a number. It didn't have to get kind of drawing those lines. They saw a need. They wanted to meet it. They were willing to do whatever it took to meet it because they put their trust in God. Um, in Ananias and Sapphira, in chapter 5, Acts gave. Uh, they weren't condemned because they didn't give all the money to the apostles. It's very important. A lot of people think that's why they were condemned. No, they were condemned because they lied and acted as if they were giving all. And to act like they're like everybody else, but really weren't. Um, so even then, you know, it's hard to imagine that they would have taken a 10,000 piece of land and said they sold it for 2,500. Uh, no, they probably were willing to give eight, 9,000 out of a $10,000 piece of land, something that somebody could reasonably think that you would make on that kind of land. Uh, so there's still a lot of giving. Assets, no, assets, fire still gave a lot to the church. The issue was that they were being deceptive. They were trying to seem that they were putting their trust in God. They really weren't fully putting their trust in God. And God made them an example. 
We also see the, the example in Second Corinthians chapter 8 of the Macedonians. We kind of mentioned it in passing earlier, talking about that context. But it's worth pointing out exactly uh, what Paul has to say about what the Macedonians were doing. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 8, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave beyond their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. So, Paul has these fulfillment words of praise for the Macedonians. That they have their own issues. You know, there are a lot of all difficulties going on. You can certainly forgive the Macedonians for thinking that they need to keep money more locally or to provide help for Paul or a bunch of other things. But when he told them that he wanted them to provide for the Christians in Judea that were struggling, uh, they zealously wanted to do so, and they gave beyond any expectation. They entrust themselves to God and, and by God's will, then on to Paul. Uh, giving plenty and beyond what they could imagine, uh, even though they were in, in, in relative poverty. So they're going probably well beyond 10%, maybe beyond 20%. We can't know. No percentages are given. That's not important. What is important is they trusted in God. They saw a need. They were willing to give to meet that need. And trusted that God was going to take care of them. And so when it comes to giving, it's so easy for us to want to come down to numbers. It comes, we, we, we want to uh, have some kind of metric. And there's so many different ways that are used to try to manipulate people into giving more. Uh, you can just watch television, see the advertisements for less than a dollar a day and things of that matter, trying to trivialize money or make it seem uh, low and manageable. Uh, shaming, saying that certain thing, you know, people should give up certain things, um, and so on and so forth, and, and and maybe there's some moral merit to those considerations, but that's not the way Paul does. That's not the way Paul goes about it. Paul is content to proclaim the need, to encourage Christians to entrust themselves to God and and to put trust that they will provide the need. Now, Paul Paul's pretty good with the Corinthians. He does a good rhetorical hand, slide of hand, uh, saying, I know that you're ready. I've been boasting about how ready you are, and so I'm very confident I'll be able to come and you will have come through for me. Which admittedly is his own kind of manipulation, but it's it's much more a positive manipulation. He's trying to 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 pump up what they're able to do and to tell them you can do it. You can do this. This can be done. Uh, but it's only going to be done through the grace of God. So it's not about a percentage. On the other hand, this provides an opportunity for a lot of people to become very miserly and stringent and to close off their hands and to say, well, I'm giving this little bit cheerfully. Uh, trying to argue the nuances of as one may prosper or giving cheerfully. Uh, but uh, the fact that God has given us liberty tr- wants us to, to give back joyfully and bountifully uh, should not be uh, come a pretense for uh, sloppiness and greed. We need to give well.
and we should see these examples in the New Testament. Uh, nothing was inferior to what was done under the Old Covenant. They, they gave of themselves, and, they and it really comes down to trusting in God, because the, the main thing that holds us back from giving more is wondering where it's going to come from. If I give this, where, where is this, how is this bill going to get paid? How is this going to be dealt with? How is this going to be dealt with? And the ideas of these early Christians were in, were in probably worse situations than, than, than most of most of us who, who who would be listening to this conversation, or certainly uh, myself as well. Uh, but somehow they they entrusted to the Lord, and God took care of them. And so we do well to give our giving, make it in accordance with what we see revealed in the New Testament. And so that's the type of thing we see about giving in the assembly. That Christians assembled on the first day of the week, and they did give, and they gave bountifully, and they gave because the church had things that it needed to do, and because they needed to get to accomplish it, and uh, that's what the church used as their income source. That the church wasn't trying to make money in other projects; that it was sustained by the first day of the week free will contributions of its members, and God gave them liberty, not expecting less, but to provide an opportunity to give more. And therefore, we do well to give the heed to the examples and the principles of what we have seen, and that we should be well to just be found guilty of giving liberally and cheerfully. Again, thank you for spending this time with us and exploring these things. If you have some questions or like to talk more about the type of things that we've been discussing in terms of giving, the assembly or Christianity, maybe you have prayer requests, maybe you'd like to learn how to become a Christian, or you just got some questions, just need to talk. If there's any way that I can be of service, please let me know. Please contact me through my website, theverbovitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. Or if you'd like to learn more about the Venture to Christ or check us out, you can find us online at VentureToChrist.org, or you can also find us on many uh, forms of social media. We again thank you and have a great day.